Hello, everybody, and welcome to your live event. My name is Eric Weinkoop, and I'm the Director of Culinary Instruction here at Ruby, and I'm also one of your instructors in the courses. Uh, today is my office hours, and I want to welcome you specifically uh, to this opportunity for you to, uh, to ask questions about food and cooking, and it also gives me a chance to do my best uh, to you know, respond to your questions. And uh, so starting out uh, at the top of the order uh, is a question from Javedia. Hello. Uh, and she writes, I like to cook, but I don't know how to handle a knife. And cooking starts with knives. So I would, uh, it would be kind of you if you suggest some techniques on handling and using a knife. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So uh, let me mention a couple of things that come to mind. The first is that uh, for, for those of you that will be joining one of our full courses, uh, you know, such as uh, the, the Forks Over Knives course, or maybe the uh, Professional Plant Certification course, or uh, the other long one is the Professional Cook uh, certification course. And, and in those courses, you will find full lessons uh, that will walk you through the process of getting acquainted with knife handling. Um, but uh, let me go ahead and mention a couple of things that come to mind. And really, they revolve around safety, right? Number one. And uh, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is have some Band-Aids nearby. Um, it, and that might sound like a joke, but really it's not. Um, uh, I think it's a good idea to be prepared. And I think for probably all of us at some point or another, we do experience a little nick or a little cut. And it certainly is nice to have the appropriate uh, first aid items nearby. So you know, do consider um, reacquainting yourself with the box of Band-Aids. Okay. Uh, the other thing in terms of basic technique is, um, you know, when you hold a chef's knife, uh, I'll generally talk about a chef's knife here, which is going to be a larger knife uh, that most cooks, uh, at least in the Euro-American context, will do most of their cooking with. And, you know, the way that we hold the knife is to grasp um, the knife just ahead of the handle, uh, the actual blade with our thumb and, and index finger. And then we wrap our hand around the handle. And uh, you know, what we're doing is uh, we're, we're shifting the hand up toward the blade a little bit. And what that does is it gives a little bit more leverage, a little bit more you know, power. Uh, maybe power is probably the better word to use here. Um, that drives into the blade as we cut product. And uh, it's a, uh, arguably a, a more efficient way uh, to use the knife in, you know, in terms of um, uh, you know, decreasing some of the possible stress you know, that would come through the, the wrist or uh, uh, probably the wrist in particular. The forearm is still going to pick up um, you know, the, the, the power that's necessary to push the knife through the food. Uh, the um, now the the safety item that comes to mind is that um, like if if this is the blade uh, and this is your what we call the guide hand or the hand that holds the food item, you want to curl your fingertips back a little bit so that uh, when you're using the knife, uh, you put your knuckle directly up against the blade and you can move the knife in this manner, but your fingertips are safely back. So they're angled back just a little bit. And, and you know, how much they're angled back is going to be up to you and, uh, you know, your comfort. But the idea is to get those out of the way of the blade. Um, and that can take some getting used to. Uh, you know, many, many uh, culinary students that I've worked with over the years, the, the thousands of students over the years, um, you know, most are pretty good at uh, just uh, kind of jumping into that. But others uh, take some time. And uh, some folks take some getting, some, maybe some, some convincing uh, to break old habits. And usually the convincing takes place when the knife bites their fingertip. And so just as a fair word of warning, 
with the band-aids nearby, uh, do start by kind of tucking in the fingertips uh, as you start to put the knife up against your knuckles and then get used to that feeling and slowly moving you know, the blade back and forth, okay? Um, if you uh, go through our knife handling lessons in our courses, uh, you'll find that we will actually start you out on uh, a, a tool such as a bench scraper. Uh, so not even a knife, but just uh, you know, some other flat tool that mimics the feel of a knife uh, to get you used to the, the arm motion. Uh, that's involved and, and the feeling of having some metallic thing, uh, you know, up against your knuckles. Okay. Um, and so, you know, really those two things are, you know, how to hold the knife uh, efficiently and then how to uh, practice that number one uh, sort of safety technique are going to be the most important things to keep in mind and to practice uh, as you get started with knife handling. Um, start out slow and uh, try to cut accurately. And so accurately means to try to make your cuts parallel uh, to one another. And uh, initially you're gonna find that your cuts might, you know, your, your knife is gonna move and your cuts are, they're, they're tapered in funny ways. Uh, just continue to try to straighten the knife up uh, so that you have consistency uh, in how straight the blade is. And then also, of the consistency of the thickness of your cuts, okay? And then as time goes on, you can add speed to your skill set, all right? And that's really the basics uh, of uh, knife handling. Of, of course, there are many different types of knives and uh, different um, um, specialized applications uh, of knives and therefore specialized skills that you might develop for certain scenarios, but, but fundamentally, for most of your daily cooking, um, you know, these few points will get you down the path. All right. Thanks for asking that question and uh, safe cutting to you. All right. Uh, on to the next question. Uh, how to make profit of cooking, but not uh, open a restaurant or a cafe. Okay. So um, how to make some money from your skills and your knowledge. Um yeah, without directly cooking for the public. Uh, so this is a popular question. And, you know, a couple of things that come to mind that I see uh, include uh, some sort of uh, an online presence. So call it a, a blog or a website or something like that, um, where you can share your unique approach to food cooking, food culture, food history, food and travel, food photography. I mean, you name it, right? However you want to combine food and cooking along with other hobbies or interests you have uh, could make a solid foundation for a, again, a, a website or a blog of some sort um, that could attract a following. Uh, you know, and it could be through any other, uh, you know, any source of, of uh, social media as well, of course. You know, Instagram is very popular right now. And uh, then it's going to be through uh, advertisements uh, as well as selling products uh, where people make money. And, there, you know, there's a whole other world in terms of the learning curve when it comes to, you know, how to make money online. And there are certainly sources on the Internet that will explain that to you in sufficient detail. OK, now another uh, idea that comes to mind uh, is uh, that of creating a retail product to sell, you know, such as a bottled sauce. And, uh, you know, if you. Uh, just take a look at, uh, uh, you know, your, just as an example, right, your favorite condiments and uh, go to the grocery store and see if there are any regional or local producers um, that could inspire you to uh, do something similar, right, in, in that given category, whether it's ketchup or a hot sauce or, or something else. And uh, again, take a look online uh, for some some introductory information uh you know note that many of these folks at least the ones that i know 
um, have started out at local farmers markets with their ideas. So that's a low cost entry point to access the public uh, to receive feedback on your product. And uh, you can change recipes, make adjustments, and then, and then go out each week for testing of those ideas. And uh, so those are a couple of ways uh, that I see folks making some money, um, you know, without directly engaging uh, with the public through a, a, a restaurant or, you know, a food service establishment. Um, now, uh, if, you, if you want to produce food, um, but you don't want to deal with the public so directly, you know, you can always do some sort of catering right, where uh, you're creating whatever it is. It could be full-on meals or it could be a more focused type of a menu, such as desserts only, uh, where you take orders uh, via the internet and then you can make deliveries. And um, so you minimize uh, the, the public interaction, uh, which for some of us can be a good thing, right? Um, while still enjoying your cooking and all those other aspects of entrepreneurship, okay? Um, and, you know, whenever a student uh, or anybody really asks uh, about this idea of starting a business around food, you know, I always suggest uh, making a business plan. And, uh, you know, a business plan uh, is a um, – it's, it's a uh, – a multi-step uh, uh, sort of a path uh, for you to be guided down. Uh, and it will uh, kind of push you to address many different questions that are part of starting a business. And um, you know, I think especially when it comes to food, if you're going to be actively creating and selling food, for example, through a catering operation, then I would you know, strongly suggest that you uh, uh, create a, a business plan so that you can understand where the risks are, where the, you know, where the exposure to, um, to expenses are, uh, to, to best prepare yourself for such a journey, okay? Take a look at SCORE, S-C-O-R-E dot org for more information on, uh, uh, for, for small business uh, startups and ownership. Uh, you know, as well as the business plan. All right. Thank you. All right. Next up, we got a question from Jay who says, not ready to abandon oils yet. I see others using olive oil by default for all purposes. My concern is the low smoke point uh, and the toxicity of olive oil. And uh, I recommend use of grapeseed or sunflower oil when using above 350 degrees Fahrenheit for roasting. Thoughts? Um, yes. So uh, you, yeah, you bring up a fair point, uh, and that is whatever oils we're using, uh, we want to avoid reaching the smoke point, which uh, is the, the temperature at which the oil begins to break down rapidly and it starts to smoke. We can visibly see smoke. Uh, and, you know, indeed, right, the oil is, is being damaged and, um, you know, can create some compounds that are not so good for us. And so we do want to avoid the smoke point, again, regardless of the type of oil. Every oil has its smoke point, okay? Now, Jay mentions olive oil. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say that there are many different types of olive oil and uh, specifically uh, different levels of filtering or refinement. And as you get into, you know, typically, uh, you know, smaller batch, uh, you know, craft made olive oil, in order to preserve more of the flavor and that craft or artisanal interest, um, they are unfiltered or very lightly filtered, um, you know, such that they have more stuff, more particulate in suspension, which is the stuff that burns at relatively lower temperatures. And uh, so, you know, to Jay's point, um, just be aware if you happen to choose olive oil for cooking, 
uh, that you're cooking at temperatures that um, that don't cross that smoke point threshold. Okay, so um, uh, you can certainly cook with olive oil, uh, but just be aware of that. Um, so the, the second part then uh, of Jay's message is uh, the suggestion to use grapeseed oil or sunflower oil. And uh, yeah, you bet. I mean, those I think are a couple of sound choices, um, you know, that uh, can have relatively higher smoke points, you know, for high temperature cooking. So uh, again, just take a look at smoke points for whatever oils that you're, you're thinking about and, um, and then move forward. All right. Thank you. All right. And uh, in reference to the previous question, okay, about uh, starting some sort of a, a, a revenue generating business that's not a restaurant, uh, we have the SCORE website linked, okay? Uh, so please take a look at that. Uh, next up, uh, the question reads, uh, for my first knife, I'm thinking a Hinkle Santoku 8-inch your thoughts on Henkel as a brand. Uh, can I do the rolling technique with the Santoku? Or should I get a chef's knife, an eight-inch size? Uh, suggestion on which model of Henkel chef or Santoku to choose uh, or a different brand. Okay, uh, so we've got some interest here in the uh, chef's knife or or the, the main knife selection here. So let me, you know, first say that, you know, whether you choose a European style chef's knife, okay, or uh, another popular style of knife, uh, such as a santoku, um, I can go either way. In fact, I use both probably in, in a given day, certainly in a given week. Uh, you know, I'll uh, use at least two, if not uh, more than that, uh, types of knives. And so, of course, some of it depends on what I'm cutting. Uh, but sometimes I just want to switch it up and I want a little different feel. And uh, so I'll just grab a different knife. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think a Santoku, uh, some people like. And, uh, you know, can you, so to, to uh, your, your questions here specifically, Cherise, um, Hinkle, Hinkle is a, is a fine brand. I've got a, a number of Hinkle knives in my, my stable of knives. Um, so uh, I don't have anything against Hinkles. Um, my suggestion, if, if at all possible, is to get your hands on some knives so you can feel them, feel the, the shape of the handle and the weight of the knife and the balance of the knife in your hand. Uh, that's going to depend on the producer. Uh, as well as the style of knife, as well as the size of, of the knife. And I think all of the, those things are going to uh, you know, contribute to a particular experience for you, the individual cook. And uh, so I would recommend that you go down to a cutlery store uh, or someplace, maybe a friend or somebody has some knives already um, that you might you know, try on for size, so to speak. Okay. Uh, you mentioned eight inch, I think for, you know, home cooks an eight inch chef's knife is a great uh, size to use. Okay. Um, you know, uh, every once in a while, somebody says, but I have small hands and an eight inch chef's knife feels very large uh, and uncomfortable. Can I use a smaller blade? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, choose a knife that's going to be comfortable for you. Uh, chef's knives, um, you know, come in sizes much smaller than eight inches, you know, seven, six, five. I think I probably have even seen a four inch, I think, uh, chef's knife um, along the way. Um, keep in mind that the smaller your blade length, um, the, the less real estate you can cover. And when I use the term real estate, I'm talking about the cutting board. Okay, so the smaller your knife, the more cutting you have to do. Um, to process a given amount of food. And so in other words, there is efficiency in a larger knife size, okay? And, uh, you know, if you're working in a professional setting, you know, I would say that an 8-inch chef's knife is a minimum size and probably a 10-inch is, you know, what you want to get used to, okay? And if you've got small hands, then an 8-inch uh, is probably what you want to get used to. But at home, 
um, you know, you take your pick based upon comfort level because we always have to keep in mind safety. Okay. Um, but I do think an eight inch size is a pretty good place to be. Okay. For most people, most of the time. All right. Um, now, in terms of specific models, no, I don't have any particular uh, suggestions. I think, um, again, if you can get your hands on some different uh, examples uh, to see what feels right for you. Um, I also recognize that for a lot of people, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the look, right, the presentation to other people, to your audience can be important, uh, you know, in which case, uh, you know, a rosewood handle might uh, do the, the trick for you, or sometimes just a particular expensive brand name uh, might, uh, you know, fill that requirement for you. Um, you know, if you, you know, don't have such a requirement, then also consider the Victorinox brand. That's the, the Swiss Army Knife people. And they have a number of different lines, but uh, one popular sort of... Um, I, I consider it a workhorse, uh, uh, so to speak, uh, uh, line is their Fibrox uh, line. And um, uh, it's, it's rugged, uh, you know, you can kind of bang them around and they, they recover. Uh, they're not so expensive. Uh, it's, it's at a pretty fair entry point, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, the blades are um, Soft enough that uh, they're pretty easy to sharpen, uh, but not so, you know, soft that you have to tinker with them too often, okay, provided you maintain them regularly, you know, with your, your steel, okay. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, give that a try. You know, I also recommend reading reviews online. I think uh, that can be very helpful for most consumers, okay, to, to try to get a, a broader sort of understanding of uh, these different styles and different brands and what they offer and what they don't offer. All right. Thank you. Uh, and, oh, look at that. The next question is from Sharice, uh, who writes, uh, can you suggest a good budget-friendly mandolin? Uh, I want one that can slice paper thin. There are so many, it's hard to choose. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, yes, you know, what, what comes to mind for me is the ben, uh, Benriner brand. Bengdina is the, is the Japanese, it's a Japanese company. And uh, they, the, their uh, mandolins come in at least a couple of different sizes. Um, and uh, they're made of plastic. Uh, they have good blades, as you might expect, you know, from a, a Japanese company that makes cutting devices. And uh, over the years, um, you know, I've used Benriners um, uh, and have had great success with them. Okay. And so that's going to be uh, my recommendation. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, let's see. Okay. This is a, it's a follow-up uh, from Patsy to Charisse, who says, um, Sharice, uh, I saw the, the Hinkle knife advertised by Milk Street, and it looks like it would be a lot easier to use than a chef knife. Um, I mentioned San, Santoka because it came in a set of Cuisinart knives that I bought at Costco. Okay, yeah, thank you, Patsy. Um, so Costco uh, could be a good place to look for knife sets. I know they usually have a couple, three or so uh, to choose from, uh, you know, as well as cookware. Um, and so consider Costco as a possible source. Uh, for equipping your kitchen. All right. Thank you. All right. And uh, the next message says, suggestion. Uh, if you can go in person to a knife sharpening class, see if they offer a chance to use their knives. Good chance to feel the knife yourself for a while. Okay. Yes. So this sounds like a response to Sharice. And I think that's uh, spot on. Thank you very much, Omar. All right. Uh, and then the next item uh, reads, uh, is tempeh and tofu considered part of a whole food plant-based diet? Uh, you know, this is a, a kind of a fun question. This is the sort of question that I get eh, with some regularity. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to say, you know, first of all, that, you know, uh, 
tofu and tempeh, right? These are uh, uh, soybean or, or traditionally soybean-based uh, products. Um, today, we see varieties you know, based on other other grains and other legumes, um, and they're uh, they're processed to some degree. Okay, some degree, and um, so really, the question uh, as to whether they're whole food, plant based, you know, certainly they're plant based. Um, uh, but beyond that, you know, I, I don't worry, and I don't want you to worry uh, too much about definitions, okay, and and categorizing things necessarily, okay. Um, rather, um, you know, consider that um, you know these are too wholesome and uh, easily accessible and also popular food items or categories of food items uh, for people that are on a plant-based diet. And uh, I mean, beyond that, you know, I want you to sort of read about these products and learn about how they're made and, and put them within the greater context of food and plant-based food and start to think deeply about these things as you develop your own food philosophy, okay? And um, it's not just you, uh, Phyllis, but it's everybody in the audience today that I'm talking to. Um, I encourage you to develop a food philosophy. You know, what is it that you wanna put into your body what is it that you want to avoid and why? I think answering the why question is very important. Um, I, I personally don't blindly follow what other people are doing, and I don't encourage others to do that either, just because something is popular, for example, um, or if somebody says it's, uh, it's good for me, because we're all unique. We all come from different cultural backgrounds, and uh, we need to recognize that. And um, um, so think about that and decide for yourself, uh, you know, if you want to include tofu and tempeh, and if so, how much, how frequently, uh, and so on and so forth. Okay. But, uh, you know, have some fun with it. It's a long process. Um, you know, it can take uh, years of, of reading and studying and, and uh, having conversations and, and thinking deeply about food. Um, which we should do, I think, again, because it is so um, central to who we are, uh, you know, biologically and what that means and culturally and in all, all of those ramifications. Okay. Um, so have some fun with it. All right. Thanks. All right. Next up. Uh, I love to cook, but am currently a carnivore. Need to learn how to make the transition gradually or jump right in. Uh, okay, uh, I see a couple of different uh, issues to address here. One is, uh, I, um, let's see, well, oh, maybe it's one issue. Um, let me let me try to uh, put this into some context, and hopefully, I'm, I'm hitting the right button here. And and that is, uh, I'm uh, Hillary wants to jump into maybe plant-based cooking, uh, but is currently uh, a carnivore or, or an omnivore, right? And um, so, I mean, if, if, so then the question is, do I transition slowly or, you know, just kind of go cold turkey and move away from animal-based products? Uh, you know, this is, I think, much like uh, Phyllis's question, and that is, it depends on your food philosophy and um, if you want to go 100% plant-based or just something in that direction, okay? Um, you know, as, uh, as much as I enjoy eating my fruits and vegetables and grains and beans and, and try to do so um, most meals, most of the days of the week, um, I don't necessarily, you know, push a 100% plant-based diet um, you know, for others, uh, that's going to be something that you get to decide. And um, I would also say, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, I mean, arguably, more plants uh, are better for you and for all of us. Um, but, you know, how you want to transition to that uh, is really up to you. Give it a try. You know, have some fun with it. You know, you might jump in and, and give yourself a, 
a 10 day challenge or a 30 day challenge or, you know, it, you know, sign up for the FOK course, which is a 90 day course and, 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 and uh, give yourself a 90 day challenge and see if you can make a transition to, to all plants and see how it feels um, and see how it uh, goes after that. And if you feel like, ah, you know, um, you know, I want to uh, nibble on this or try a little bit of that that comes from the, from the animal based world, uh, you know, uh, on occasion. Um, don't beat yourself up. Uh, enjoy food. Um, what the, the one thing that I would uh, love to see is a decreased level of stress and tension around food and cooking. Uh, for everybody. Um, it, it's, uh, it should be a, a source of joy, uh, in, at least in my opinion. Um, but uh, I also understand that, uh, you know, food is, um, it, it's politicized, it's um, emotionally charged, um, it's biologically important, um, it's uh, culturally, a, uh, you know, central to who we are, and uh, it, it's part of the most meaningful substance and act that we engage in, um, you know, whether we realize it or not, because, you know, food is such a mundane sort of a thing and cooking, you know, we all cook, you know, in a certain way. Um, so maybe we don't think much about it, but um, it really is significant. And, um, uh, but that's no reason, you know, to, to get hung up on uh, details necessarily. Uh, you know, we've, uh, we have so many opportunities to enjoy food and, uh, but it's going to be up to you. Okay. To figure out your entry point. All right. Thank you. All right. Hello, Fatima. Uh, who writes, I, uh, would like to enroll in the plant-based course, but would like to know if during the course, um, there'll be any focus on meat or plant-based meat. Okay. So, uh, if you enroll in one of our plant-based courses, uh, which most commonly would be our professional plant-based certification course, which is the six months, uh, well, actually, maybe now it's more like eight months. We, we recently uh, um, uh, bolstered the content and extended the duration. Um eight or nine months. And then uh, there's the Forks Over Knives course at three months. Okay, It's listed as a 90-day course. So those are our popular entry points. Um, we focus on all plants. Okay, So no meat coming from an animal uh, or other animal substances at all. Okay. Um, now, in terms of plant-based meat analogs, okay, uh, in our pro plant course. So the long course, we do have a lesson uh, where we uh, go into some of these ways that you can start to mimic the look and the texture and, um, you know, some of that, that meat experience that a lot of people um, crave for as they transition away from meat. And, and that section really focuses on, you know, things like mushrooms and, and jackfruit and tofu products, uh, you know, seitan, for example, um, that are popular go-to ingredients that, um, you know, you know, usually mimic the texture because that's, that's going to be really important, uh, for a lot of people when we move away from, uh, that, that particular feel of, uh, meat, um, and, and, and it's those ingredients that can, that can mimic some of that. And, um, that's basically what we talk about. So ways to recreate some of that palate experience. Okay. Um, and, uh, then of course, if you go to the grocery store, you can find a lot of these meat analogs, uh, these things that are highly processed and compressed and flavored much like chicken, um, and, uh, yeah, I guess as I think about it, uh, you know, those products are referenced, uh, a, a few times in the course, but it's going to be up to you, you know, whether you want to use that kind of a thing or not. Okay. So there are some of those, uh, store-bought items that are, uh, ready-made, uh, they're highly processed. 
uh, even though they are, you know, plant-based. And so again, you, you know, I would encourage you to think about uh, your food beliefs, your food philosophy, and what being plant-based means to you. Okay, and if um, you know you want to include um, highly processed foods, uh, or you want to really stay with whole food uh, items. Okay. Uh, but hopefully that answers your question regarding what you might find in, in the courses. I'll, I'll clarify that in the FOK course, um, we don't go into a, a deeper discussion of a lot of these um, meat replacements, okay? But uh, we do emphasize otherwise whole foods, right? So legumes and, and grains um, and, uh, uh, you know, preparations using those two categories of foods can go a long way in providing uh, density and, and uh, uh, toothsomeness uh, and some of the texture, right, that we might look for um, when it comes to the thought of animal meats, okay? Uh, which brings me to this idea of the thought. So I'm going to take a tangent here for just a moment before I get back on track, and that is to say that whatever it is you're eating, okay, whatever path you choose, think about what you have rather than what you don't have, okay? Uh, in my opinion, life, and in particular food, is a about a 90% mental experience, okay? And it's really about what we talk about up here, what it is that we think, think we're going to experience, what it is that we're ex uh, anticipating, uh, and often what it is that we are thinking about that we don't have, that is lacking uh, on this plate in front of us. And that's a common conversation uh, that I hear when it comes to plant-based diets, is that, you know, I, I don't have cheese, I don't have heavy cream, I don't have fish, I don't have chicken, I don't have all these things. Well, that's true, but on the other hand, look at the world of abundance that you do have and find joy and satisfaction in all of that. It's a tremendous opportunity that we have in front of us. All right, back on track. All right, thank you. Uh, next up from Vicki, uh, for the Folks Over Knives course. Does it matter when the lessons are done? I may have a couple weeks available partway through when I can do a number of lessons. Otherwise, I may be slow getting to them. How will that affect the course progress? So the, uh, the quick answer here is that for all of our courses, FOK or otherwise, uh, there's a starting point and there's an ending point. Okay, based upon that duration that's um, aligned with that course. In the case of FOK, it's 90 days. During that period of time, you can do whatever you want. Okay. Um, and uh, so in other words, it's self-paced. Uh, and we, we, we encourage you to move in the sequence that we've set up from task one to task N at the, at the uh, end of the um, course. Um, it, that makes the greatest sense in our opinion in terms of, of uh, the skill set and knowledge base building upon itself as you progress. But uh, otherwise, if you need to take a couple weeks off or you know, kind of shift around your work life or your personal life uh, in conjunction with your studies, that's all going to be quite fine and quite doable. Okay? So uh, have fun. Thank you. And next up, uh, let's see. Uh, hello, Omar. Uh, I'm in the pro plant course, uh, hard getting kids and family on board with dietary changes. Uh, they'll eat, uh, pesh, I guess that's fish, right? Uh, or veggie, uh, veggies at best. Um, given this constraint, can I sub in non-plant-based ingredients? Aha. Uh -huh. So, uh, great question. For your assignments that are 
instructor graded that I will be looking at, that uh, my colleagues uh, on the instructional team will be looking at, please use 100% plant-based ingredients with no exceptions. I thank you in advance. Um, but when it comes to, you know, other cooking, your daily cooking repertoire, otherwise, you know, as you ease your family into enjoying more plants in their lives, uh, do what you need to do. And, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, have fun with that. I mean, that's, uh, and I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean, really, I mean, have fun with it. Um, you know, one thing that I have found, um, excuse me a second. One thing that I have found uh, to be successful with, um, you know, our, our kiddo here at home is to involve him in the cooking process. And I have certainly, you know, um, witnessed that buy-in um, when I have taught cooking classes for children of all ages from uh, very, very young all the way up through uh, high school. And, uh, you know, if, if they've got their blood, sweat, and tears, so to speak, invested in it, then they're more likely to uh, understand it, to trust it, and then to enjoy it. And so if you can, you know, get your kiddos um, from the, the age of toddlerhood uh, into the kitchen to get their hands on stuff, uh, it goes a long way to creating uh, a, a food conscious human being as an adult, uh, which I think um, will be a good thing for everybody and will make, uh, make society right, a better place. Um, and, uh, you know, even on, uh, as we talk about children and cooking, uh, you know, get them in on food processing, you know, don't, um, shy away from, uh, knife handling and, and all these other things, of course, supervised. And, you know, there are ways to ease into this, but, uh, children enjoy that, right? There's a lot of satisfaction and, and edification that takes place when little people, that is our children, uh, learn these little these little steps of independence right along the way. Um, you know, our uh, son uh, is a graduate of the uh, FOK course, and um, you know, I uh, don't hesitate to throw dinner tasks his way. Um, you know, sometimes I have to coax him off of the uh, uh, you know doing something else. But once he's in the kitchen, you know, he can navigate quite. Uh, quite freely. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice place for him to be. All right. Um, so enjoy. Thank you. All right. Next up, uh, what vegan cream recipe can be used in an ISI or EC whipper and how do I use it? Um, yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't have a, a recipe, I guess that comes to mind, but um, you know, um, if you want to reach out uh, via support at ruby.com, you know, I'd be happy to uh, take this up in a little bit more detail. Um, there are some different ways to approach this, depending on what it is that you're trying to do. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean, let's see here. Uh, sometimes we might want to add something like uh, an agar or a, a gum of some sort to, to provide more structure, more body. Um, and uh, other times not, again, it depends on what it is that you're trying to achieve. There's a lot of things that we can do, uh, with one of these compressed whipping, um, uh, tools. Okay. Dep based on, on the presentation that you desire. Okay. Um, but, uh, again, you know, reach out to us, uh, if you want to continue the conversation. Thank you. All right. Uh, oh, look at that. Sharice is back. Uh, I'm planning on, I uh, plan to use my Ninja Foodie pressure cooker, which also has an air fryer and dehydrator feature. Will this work for the dehydrator activity in the course? Um, my quick response would be probably. Um, you know, I haven't used uh, the Ninja product that you're talking about, but if it's a dehydrator, then uh, it should be quite fine. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, on that note, for those of you that are in the pro plant course where we have uh, a task or, or two on dehydrating, if you don't have a dehydrator, you know, you can always use your oven set at the lowest temperature 
which is usually in the neighborhood of 170 degrees Fahrenheit, and then prop the door open a little bit, you know, with a towel or a, a wooden spoon, for example, uh, just to let some of that excess heat escape, and then put your product uh, inside there to dry. And, uh, you know, th that's okay too, all right? Um, you know, it's it doesn't, you know, if you want to get really finicky um, about raw food and temperature thresholds and dehydrating, then maybe you don't want to use uh, an oven. Um, but if you just want to dry some food, uh, you can use an oven with the door propped open. All right. But uh, yeah, go for it, Sharice. Your, your ninja uh, sounds cool. Thank you. All right. Uh, Juliet writes, uh, out of curiosity, how come this course is worth 30 credits? At University 30 ECTS is worth a full-time semester of work. So I was wondering what you call credits. Uh, so you mentioned 30 credits, and I am guessing that you're referring to the Forks Over Knives course. I seem to recall that reference on their uh, website. Okay. Uh, and let me say, first of all, that that information uh, is incorrect. Okay, I'm glad that you uh, are pointing this out. It'll give me a chance to follow up on that, to update that information, okay? So any of the information uh, that references, um, you know, uh, what, what might resemble credit hours, okay, is referencing continuing education hours, okay? And um, so sometimes called CEHs or CEUs, and, and this is not for college credit, but rather for continuing education scenarios where, you know, usually you're a part of some association that requires annual professional development, and we have a, a number of courses, long and short, uh, that qualify through the American Culinary Federation, the ACF, um, for uh, some level or another of continuing education hours, okay? And so generally speaking, continuing education hours that are awarded or associated with a given course are roughly equivalent to the number of hours that it takes to complete that course, okay? And uh, so, you know, the FOK course, for example, is actually about twice this number that you have listed. I mean, the, the, the duration of the course is, is 55 to 60 hours or so, uh, approximately, okay? Um, but hopefully that clears it up, okay? Now, um, we do have a, a short list of courses that are available uh, for university credit, um, but you know that's going to be through a very different avenue, and and uh, you know those credit hours are more in the range of say six units, six credits or so, which is probably more of what what you would expect. All right, but hopefully that answers your question. Um, posted in front of us now, also you will see the link. Uh, to the um, uh, to the ACF uh, information that lists Ruby courses uh, for professional development and CEHs, continuing education hours. Thank you. All right, uh, next question. Uh, what's your perspective on using a typical chef's knife versus a santoku knife? Uh, either one is fine, uh, in my opinion. As I mentioned earlier, um, you know I use both in a in a day or certainly within a week. Um, try them both on for size. Uh, they can both be very effective in, in prepping uh, for your kitchen needs, okay? But I think the most important thing is for you to, um, you know, just, uh, just, just try one out or buy them both and uh, have some fun with it, okay? Uh, and then Patsy also writes, uh, I'm a complete beginner as far as using knives properly. I recently retired and am 72 years old and want to begin to learn to cook whole food, plant-based foods properly, and that tastes good. Uh, Patsy, you have come to the right place, okay? Um, you know, through um, our, our lessons, you know, you know, through our courses, uh, you know, we walk students through 
uh, at, at the very early stage, knife handling. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, safety is number one, but then of course, you know, skill development over a period of time uh, is on that list as well. And that's all about you uh, practicing cooking for friends and family and developing uh, the confidence on the knife, okay? Um, I encourage you to, to, uh, to go through our lessons uh, and also to do any other supplemental reading that you, uh, you know, might want to do to learn as much as you can about different styles of knives, whether they're, it's the metallurgy that goes into them or you know, the, the, the European provenance or the, uh, the Asian origin you know, of that style of knife uh, to learn a little bit about its characteristics and what might best fit the type of cooking uh, that you do. All right. Thank you. All right. Next up uh, from Janice. Uh, is there somewhere that explains the ultimate course grading details such as, uh, is there any real cooking involved for grades? Uh, what is expected to obtain a grade? Um, so, uh, you know, to respond to that question, let me um, first of all say, um, if you want a specific uh number of instructor graded assignments, please reach out to me at support at ruby.com and I'll go count those up and I can respond to you pretty quickly. Um, and uh, let's see here. The other part is, uh, you know, is there any real cooking involved for grades? Yes. Um, most of those instructor graded assignments that I just uh, referenced uh, involve cooking. And so what's involved uh, for grades? So uh, in the FOK course, which is what you're referencing, the Forks Over Knives Ultimate course, which is the 90-day course, you will be asked um, for most of the assignments to uh, take photographs, usually three photographs uh, 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 in the course of an assignment, uh, and then also providing some uh, uh, written description uh, of what you're doing or certainly the finished product, okay? And you're going to be asked to uh, provide a mise en place photo, uh, which will show all of your ingredients before you start cooking, okay? So it shows us your preparedness. It also gets you in the habit of being prepared before you start the cooking process, which is a which is very important to the overall discipline and flow of successful cooking, okay, and joyful cooking, very importantly. Uh, your second image will highlight a key step in process of the cooking. Uh, and there are times when we will specify what we want to see. And there are times when you get to highlight what is important in the dish that you're preparing, okay? Uh, and then the third uh, photo is the finished product. And it will be plated, ready for service, uh, and so that you know, we can see portion size and, and uh, other details of the finish um, that uh, all combined uh, will start to point to how you executed the cooking method and, you know, how you um, did a, uh, some sort of a prep st uh, stage like, like marination uh, and, and so on and so forth. There's, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And certainly when it comes to um, an instructor that has experienced cooking in many different scenarios, we can see a lot of things. We ask that you take photos that are clear. Uh, not blurry, but clear, and then also reasonably close up uh, and taken from up above and with a little bit of angle so that we can get the best vantage point of your product, okay? Uh, the idea is for you to show us clearly what it is that you produced so that we can uh, provide the most meaningful and relevant feedback to you, okay? Uh, so that's the basic process. Uh, and then we will assign points um, accordingly. All right. And um, so that's that's the gist of the grading. 
All right. And then um, otherwise, there are many uh, other activities that are auto graded uh, throughout the course. OK, quizzes and, uh, you know, short, uh, you know, activities to reinforce certain lessons. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, next up from Kevin. Uh, very excited for the FOK course. Any other items that would be good to have? Uh, kitchen tools, etc. I see questions about knives. Uh, I had over 20 chefs and 12 cooking schools as clients. I'm a master sharpener. If you like, uh, I could offer experience. You know, thank you so much, Kevin, uh, for your offer. I appreciate that. Um, you know, in terms of tools for the course, we do have a suggested uh, tool and equipment list uh, that comes with each of our courses. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I suggest you take a look at that, um, see what you already have in your inventory at home and uh, what it is that you might uh, want to add, you know, to your inventory. I would also say that, uh, you know, for all of you, as you look at our suggested tool and equipment list, uh, keep in mind that you don't need to go out and buy all that stuff immediately. You can work through the course. And when you get to that uh, unit or that lesson uh, where you will be using uh, that particular item, equipment or tool item, uh, see if you want to buy it or not. Okay. Uh, you might have something that uh, will get you through. Um, maybe that's uncomfortable and that prompts you to go buy the real thing. Um, if it's something like a dehydrator, maybe you want to borrow it first from a family member or a friend, or in the case of my public library, I can check it out from the library of things, which is pretty cool. And, um, you know, without spending a bunch of money on something that I might not use so much afterwards. Okay. And so there are some different ways to approach um, you know, the, the inventory. Okay. Um, and then, you know, for some of us, I would say, beware, because uh, you, you know, you might uh, end up with lots of new toys uh, at home, lots of fun, but they also take up a lot of space. Um, so, you know, that's my thought, you know, regarding the, the uh, tool and equipment list and getting started, okay, with your courses. Thank you. All right, uh, Jennifer writes, uh, my husband purchased the entire anniversary set of Cutco knives, but I don't think we use hardly any of them. Can you suggest a good brand and what knives are essential to have uh, and recommend options for sharpening? I hate a dull knife. Um, uh, let's see, who is it? Kevin, right? Who, who I just responded to. We need to get you connected on uh, on the sharpening thing. Now, uh, when it comes to, to the, uh, Cutco knives, um, I've used Cutco knives off and on a few times. Um, I don't I don't have any, so I can't speak to them directly. Um, I don't know how they sharpen, for example. I don't have any experience with that. Um, now, you're saying, can you suggest a, a good brand like uh, some other like non-cutco brand is what I'm, I'm hearing here uh, and knives that are essential to have. So, you know, in our uh, program today, uh, early on, we talked about knives a little bit and um, uh, Victorinox is one that I suggested. And I think um, if I remember Charisse and Patsy, you know, mentioned Henkel um, and those are all fine, uh, you know, brands to, to work with and, um, uh, you know, as I suggested, and I think Omar suggested as well, go to a cutler store and uh, try some knives on for size, uh, meaning put them in your hand to see how they fit, uh, how heavy they are, how comfortable they feel. And, um, you know, if you can create the opportunity or find the opportunity to actually cut some things, um, you know, with, with uh, different styles of knives, that's going to be the best way for you to discover not just brand, but what what style of knife do you like? Um, you know, many European style chef's knives. Um, they they if you look at them from the top, they tend to be a little bit thicker uh, in their construction than a lot of Japanese style knives. 
Um, but it also depends on what it is that you might be cutting, right? You might need a heavier blade to, to, to push through some more dense, hard items uh, so you, you uh, don't risk chipping uh, a, a thinner blade. So there's a you know much more that can go into the discussion here. Um, as you get into our courses, we we talk about some of this. Um, there's uh, you know certainly uh, you can follow up with additional specific questions. Um, you, I as I said, encourage you to get out and try knives though um, to to see what might be most comfortable and therefore safe uh, as well for you. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, when it comes to sharpening knives, there, there are just some different ways to approach that. Um, uh, I'm, you know, ultimately speaking on, on the spectrum of sharpening knives, right. You're going to get, uh, the, 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 um, the, the most control and, and the greatest finish, uh, when using uh, whetstone. Um, now the challenge for many folks is that there's a learning curve on uh, uh, when using stones to sharpen your knives. And many people, uh, whether you're you know, a home cook or a pro cook, right? You don't have the time to develop all that skill. And so you're forever sort of a, a mediocre sharpener, you know, in which case it would behoove you to send your knives out uh, to a professional sharpener and have them maintained periodically as needed, depending on the volume of your use and the, and the type of your use. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, otherwise you can certainly develop skills uh, to maintain your knives, uh, you know, acquire your own uh, set of stones and, you know, uh, the other ways to approach it uh, would be, other, you know, tools, these um, manual or automatic uh, sort of uh, knife sharpening uh, tools, um, those are certainly better than not sharpening your knife, um, but uh, not as good as stones if you know how to use the stones. But keep in mind that if you are not versed in using wet stones, you can also uh, either just come up with a, a dull knife again after trying to sharpen them, or you can really wear down your blade or otherwise, you know, I'll say, damage your knife. Okay, so um, there are a lot of variables in there. So you got to figure out where you reside, okay, on that spectrum of, of knife maintenance. But definitely find a way to maintain sharp knives. Uh, that's going to bring more joy to your cooking, not to mention safety. Thank you. All right. Another question or statement here, uh, comment anyway, from, from Omar. When I started getting into cooking, I bought a Japanese knife that resembled a sword from the anime bleach. Uh, it's cheesy, but the geek in me felt very cool as I practiced on apples from a family apple picking excursion. Um, <laughs> that sounds uh, that sounds hilarious, Omar. Um, I'm unfamiliar with bleach, um, but I can certainly uh, picture a Japanese sword and and uh, you know and, and a short uh, sword which looks kind of like a big knife, and uh, what your tool might look like. And uh, it sounds like you have enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing. All right. And then the last item here uh, is from Charles, who writes, uh, hi, uh, it's really nice to hear about starting a whole food plant-based diet. I'm taking the forks over knives class. I have a problem starting uh, cooking a plant-based diet at home. Listening to you is helping. And thank you, Charles says. Thank you, Charles. Um, you know, for, uh, for joining me today. And I want to thank all of you uh, for joining the Ruby Live event, which we have many of, and specifically my office hours today. And, you know, if uh, wh whether you uh, engage directly by asking a, a question or sharing a comment, uh, or you're sitting back and you're just taking it all in, uh, you know, hopefully 
you know, you have found some of today's conversation helpful and uh, motivating or even inspirational, right? As you go out and try something new, something bigger or something more uh, in the way of cooking for your family and your friends. It might even be starting a business, right? As um, uh, was asked today. And, um, you know, again, uh, if you have other questions that come up, uh, you will have opportunities in your courses on each task page at the bottom of the page uh, to access the Q&A function where you can ask a task-specific question uh, that would be uh, a, a, of the nature that would benefit everybody who, because it would be a, a public uh, question and answer at that point. Or if you have a more specific and say, you know, personal and individual question you'd like to ask, you can always reach out to us at support at ruby.com and we can have a one-on-one -on -one sort of a conversation like this, okay, to, uh, to do troubleshooting and that sort of thing. All right. Uh, until we meet again, uh, you know, happy cooking and safe cutting. <laughs>